Is this thing on? Let's do this over again, Figgy. The first three games of the Mets season were postponed thanks to the Nationals' COVID situation. So Monday in Philly is now opening day, part two. We'll look ahead to the Mets' new first three games of the season against the Phillies, the home opener on Thursday, and break down the Francisco Lindor contract extension. And our special guest this week will be joined by 1969 World Series champion Mets outfielder Ron Swoboda. Opening day is here again, so let's get the ball rolling on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York, folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True. Turn my mic on. Is this thing on? Didn't we just preview the Mets season? Turn my mic on. The Mets will be back and playing Ficky opening day on Monday against the Phillies. That's right. This is Amazing But True, our Mets podcast in the New York Post. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio. At Figgy NY is where you can get us. Two episodes a week. Programming note, Mondays and Thursdays. Now that the season, we hope tonight, no one get COVID, please. Don't don't have a random Al Roker. Don't change the weather and make it rain in Philadelphia. <laughs> make sure there's no rain, no snow, no hail, no COVID, no, you know, nothing happening. You know, uh, an asteroid hits the Philly State. Nothing. Let's play some damn baseball. We had to go all weekend watching all these damn other teams play. And now the Mets are one of the only undefeated teams left in baseball because they have yet to play. Uh, so we're technically the best team in baseball right now at O and O. Ron Soboda, 1969 World Series champion, is going to join us later in the show. Mets Phillies for three. Home opener Thursday. Another programming note, no show at catch on Thursday in Astoria as Figgy is Florida bound. So he gets to enjoy the sunshine of Florida uh, for a weekend. But we will be have a show at catch in the future, hoping to maybe get a former Met to come as well. So we'll talk about that as it gets closer. We'll have shirts coming soon as well. We'll talk about that. Again, follow us on social media for that. But Figgy, I mean, what a buzzkill, man. I was, you know, the Lindor extension happens Wednesday night. I lost sleep, could barely sleep Thursday. I'm doing radio shows in Sirius XM Canada and Tennessee and South Carolina. And then I wake up from a, a power nap of like 30 minutes to 10 texts that the Mets game was canceled. Talk about Buzz Killington. Yeah, I actually uh, was asked to do an interview on Fox News Business talking about opening day and whatnot. And just as I'm about to go on the air, I, I get the update that there's no game. Game's been canceled. And then, of course, you're like, all right, well, you know, they have two days to get this thing right. And then Saturday and Sunday will be fine. And then you hear the whole series is canceled. So it was bigger than they let on. Of course, big downer for Mets fans and for the players as well. I mean, you're geared up, ready to go, sitting, you know, in the hotel room. It's like, you know, you set up your clothes. Remember when you used to go to the first day of school and you set up your clothes with your sneakers just hanging off the bed and you had everything lined up, ready to go? Ball players still do that. They're, they're excited. They're, they're thinking about what they're going to wear, what's going to be, you know, the outfit that they wear on, on you know, road games, the first game of the series. It's all that stuff starts to come into play. Superstitions take place. And here you are, it gets knocked back due to COVID. Better to be safe than sorry. Uh, now we look forward to tonight and the uh, debut, the 2021 debut of Jacob deGrom and his uh, quest for a third Cy Young. And you want those day offs later. You don't want them to start the season. Obviously, you couldn't control it, but you could use those days off, especially with 
you know, what at least be a funky few months. Obviously, the big story in Mets land these last couple of days have been vaccinations, and we won't dive too deep into that, but some players saying it's a personal choice. Obviously, Sandy and the Mets want players to get vaccinated, but they're not forcing it upon them. So we'll see. If 85% of the team gets vaccinated, the restrictions are loosened a little bit. So maybe you can go, you know, to Lavo on a Sunday night or One Oak after you win a game. There's things you can maybe do if the team gets vaccinated, but we'll see because some of the Mets don't seem to be uh, too uh, thrilled about it. They could first get it on Thursday when they come home for the home opener. I'm like preparing like my mindset and emotions. Like I'm already getting ready to cry as I walk through the doors of City Field, Figgy. I mean, not being there since 2019, uh, I, I'm getting the tickets probably today, but it's going to be, I know you're not going, but like you can imagine the thought after not being there, especially for me, my father's son tradition, 17 years. Uh, I know a lot of Mets fans have a similar feeling walking in Thursday, even if it's only 8,000 fans, it's going to be special, man. No, even more so because it's only 8,000 fans. You know, it's a very small number because you know that place would be filled to capacity. Um, The new look Mets with a superstar who's going to be in a Met uniform for the next 10 years in Francisco Lindor uh, making his debut, of course. Pete Alonso trying to uh, have a bounce back season, and we know he will. Uh, They swung the bat fantastic down in spring training the whole way through. I'm just excited, man. It's so such a different feeling when you're actually at the ballpark than watching on TV. And although it will, you know, hitch in the pockets a lot different, uh, it's well worth it to get a chance to go out there and cheer on the, the players and the players. You, you'll see it. You'll, you'll see the reactions to live fans being there and, and just the, the chants that are real, not piped in and even the booze. That's what we're looking for. Oh, let me tell you, there won't be booze on opening day for players. Unlike Yankee fans who were booing Giancarlo Stan on opening day. What a disgrace. If you're a fan and show up to opening day and are booing a player after the first game, listen, you played, you know, that's kind of rare on the first game of the season. Unless you're Aaron Holloman after blowing game seven and you're back in 2007, that's one situation. But Stan hasn't really warranted the chance to get booed on opening day after no fans for a whole year, injuries, everything that happened. That blows my mind, man. Yeah, we used to have poor uh, Luis Castillo, you know, they would always boo him as well. And so I would tell him, no, papi, they're saying Lou, like Luis Castillo, <laughs> Lou, not boo. And he looked at me with a straight face and just goes, they're booing. Hey, those are boos. Yeah, those are boos. Those are boos. <laughs> it's like Jay Bruce. They would say Bruce, but it, was, it sounded like yeah. Bruce. And now he's a Yankee, but amazing. Yeah, no, that, that's one of the things. Fans, I, I don't know. There's sometimes as a player, you know, you want them to react. You know, you don't want the little golf clap kind of thing, you know. So if they're taking that much energy to react that way, hey, they must care, right? You got to either love them or hate them. It takes a lot of energy to do one of the one or the other. I hate it. I, I wait, wait a few weeks. I mean, there's just not many reasons to boo a guy that early, and I will not be booing anyone Thursday. And, you know, the Nationals ruining everything as they usually do, also ruining the fact that we would have saw Jacob Grom in the home opener, uh, which would have been awesome as well. I mean, you had a, basically a lock that you're going to get a shutout or one run. Now, you know, I'm excited to see the debut of Taiwan Walker on Thursday. Um, you mentioned the big story. Obviously, we're late to it because, you know, we didn't have a show Thursday, but Francisco Lindor, that's what was made Thursday and opening day. The thought of it's so exciting because 
is you're it's going up to the deadline, going up to the deadline. And then many people might have been asleep. I think it was around what, eleven PM, eleven thirty PM when the news came out. It was, you know, most you know, that's like my nine PM. I'm a night owl. So I was up, lost sleep, had to be radio seven AM, slept for like three hours. But the excitement, man, you had a feeling it was going to get done. You didn't know what the year. I was worried. You were worried? I thought it was going to get done. I still felt it. Basically, what they did is kind of met in the middle. They, you know, they made 325. They turned into 341. You know, what is that? An extra, you know, a million and a half a year around there. Um, And there's no real opt-outs. I think it's a limited no trade clause. But basically, Figgy, Francisco Lindor will be a Met through the 2031 season. He'll be 37 years old at the end of his contract. Jerseys have already been selling out on most sites. I got mine before just in case for that reason alone. But they're selling out. 10 years, $341 million. I am pumped they got it done. I think it's over with. That would have been a black cloud over the season. Now you could take a deep breath of fresh air and know that you have the biggest contract in Mets history and what could be one of the biggest stars in Mets history locked in uh, for, you know, if you include this year, 11 years. Yeah, you could add the other two previous ones together and they don't reach the Lindor contract with uh, David Wright and Jacob deGrom's extensions. You want this one to play out to its fullest, of course. Um, That's what you're doing by forecasting that this is the guy that you want for 10 years. And they were able to settle on that 10-year number rather than the 12. And you feel like you're going to get the most productivity out of that contract, being that it's a 10-year deal, not a 12-year deal. For me, I was worried also that we were so close to April Fool's Day that I would have choked somebody out if it was an April Fool's joke. When (laughs) Stephen Cohen tweeted it? Oh, man, that would have been a disaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that would have been awful, right? But I think when you look at this and where the Mets are, that shows you that the offseason that they didn't sign the big three names and you are like, oh, well, this guy's got deep pockets to see what he's going to do. Well, he has now made that big splash and he did it with a guy that they went out to get. Um, you know, they traded away some pieces, but you knew that was the guy you wanted to keep in a Met uniform for a long time. It's the next piece. Oh, the next two pieces that are, are you're really trying to figure out what's next is Conforto. All right. Maybe doing a DeGrom extension because he can opt out after 2022. And then you also have the guys right below that with a Syndergaard and also with uh, Marcus Stroman. I think with Marcus Stroman, you kind of wait and see how, you know, the beginning of his season starts out. If he looks like he's going to be the Stroman of uh, Toronto days and you try to get him somewhere to lock, you know, lock him up, keep him in a Met uniform as well, where he's happy to be alongside Jacob deGrom and the look, and you can see the rest of the pieces that are here. Like for a player, man, this is a great place to be right now. It's just a, a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, new ownership. You got all the things that you need in place to compete and and to do that for several years to come rather than being on a last place team every year. Yeah, it's great to make money, but it's also great to go into the ballpark knowing you got a chance to win every single day. And that's why this 96-hour holdover has been the, was the buzzkill because you went in a Thursday with this newfound excitement. I almost wanted to tw- – I was like holding back tweeting World Series champs 2021. I was just so <laughs> pumped up that the deal was done. I was on the edge of my seat just going crazy. I wanted to just pop a bottle of Ciroc or something. Then the the delay, the delay happened. So, listen, DeGrom. Did you get the black jersey? Well, they said on sale towards the holidays, and we don't still don't know what holidays they're talking about. Are they talking about <laughs> July Arbor 4th? Day. Arbor Day. Arbor Day, uh, <laughs> Flag Day, uh, you know, 
Labor Day, Memorial Day, uh, you know, the Jake Brown's bar mitzvah anniversary, April 14th, that holiday. I don't know what holiday they're talking about, Figgy. Yeah, no, that, that, that's one of the things that you know that they're going to use the black jerseys. Uh, they're going to have them in limited usage. Fans are excited. The players are excited about it. it. To me, that was one of the things that I loved is as a starting pitcher, you got to pick the jersey of the day. So the day before the clubhouse guy would come over to you and go, what jersey you want to wear? So I would always try to wear the black one. I mean, everybody kind of had their own flavor of what they wanted to wear at home. And if I could wear the black one, that would be mine. You know, that would be my day that I'm pitching. Everybody knows it because the black jerseys are out. So I I used to love wearing the black jersey. That was one of my favorites because it was just, you didn't know how long they were going to have it for either. So you knew that, hey, it was going to be a limited kind of thing. Then, of course, I mean, you get a guy like Santana and he's going to do whatever he wants and he gets the pinstripes at home uh, 99.9% of the time. And I used to wear an orange T-shirt under my jersey when I got to spring training my first year. And I'll never forget it. They came over and they go, you can't wear that. I go, what do you mean I can't wear that? I go, it matches, it's orange. And they go, no, 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 only one guy wears an orange T-shirt under his jersey. I'm like, what are you talking David Wright. I'm like, oh my God, that's real. That's a real thing. So live and learn. Uh, David Wright gets to wear the orange. Everybody else had to wear the blue underneath or the or, or the black one. Definitely uniforms make, uh, they they make you excited, man. They make you excited. You hear the players are, are raving about it. So I'm excited to see uh, Lindor's name on the back of a black one. There won't be discounts on Fridays. There'll be Black Fridays in Queens. <laughs> you will not get 80% off and, and tackle a small child for a TV that you probably didn't need for your den. But you will see the Mets in jerseys on Black Fridays this year. I'm excited for that. You see, I'm rocking the Mr. Smile uh, Lindor shirt today for opening day. Ready to go. Probably going to watch the game at catch tonight. But yeah, man, it uh, the black jersey, the extension. We'll see with DeGrom. He'll $36 million essentially if you include the signing bonus this year next year. So... They could wait till the offseason. Conforto, I think, is pretty much a lock. It's going to happen in the offseason with Scott Boris. It's just, it just feels like it's going that way. And I would stay nowhere near, honestly, a Syndergaard extension. Until you see him healthy on the field, I have no interest in extending Noah Syndergaard after surgery. We need to see him pitch because he's had injuries in the past and has passed this. We can't just see him, you know, you know, see him rehab and be like, all right, let's give him $25 million a year. No interest. He's the major one. He's the major one, right? And and what you're worried about with him is he was such a max velocity guy that when he was at his best, he used to pitch backwards. Uh, I used to always say he was like Greg Maddox that he could use his changeup at any time because everybody's expecting a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and he never had to give it to him because he could do that. He was able to throw. And when he came to the big leagues, he had two and a half pitches. He was fastball, the hook from hell, which we never even seen, and the, a changeup that he would bounce for show. Then all of a sudden, uh, two years later, he's throwing a 95-mile-an-hour slider. He's throwing a two-seamer that moves at 98 miles an hour. And now he's got a five-pitch arsenal that he can use, but he kind of always stayed pedal to the metal, hard fastball, hard slider, fall behind, pitch back to the middle of the plate, get hit around a little bit. And yet his numbers are still fantastic. So his camp is banking on that, right, that he has this previous amount of work, that a body of work that's pretty good, um, or pretty lengthy, I should say, that you can go against injuries and paying for someone who's coming off of the big one, Tommy John, and seeing how they bounce back, of course, you're going to try and wait. But at the same time, maybe you can lock him up to a deal without him pitching one pitch in the big league level and you get him for a cheaper thing. Look at Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler, if the Mets had struck when he was turning the corner and you could see there was a different Zach Wheeler, the second half of what was it, 18? And you're like, okay, this is he's a different guy right now. I yelled and screamed, lock him up right now. Give him a good offer, something solid, 
and multiple years, and you could lock him up. And then all of a sudden, you're looking, and he's a $100 million pitcher, and, you're, oh, we can't afford that. Hindsight, that looks bad right now, especially, you know, you again, you saw Wheeler over the weekend was great. The Phillies 3-0, and great starting pitching. But you also knew Wheeler had injuries and didn't go deep into games. I felt like once it hit the sixth inning, he was going to get rocked in that inning. Or once it got to the fifth inning, he was, he was running out of gas is what I felt. So when you look back at it, of course, you should have just gave him the deal, but... I could see where the Mets were coming from and not wanting to give Wheeler a long-term contract, Figgy. I think at the same time, too, that they were hopeful that Matt Harvey was going to be back to Matt Harvey because they were always kind of saving up money for that guy. They always had that money put away on the side waiting for, you know, if Matt Harvey, you know, bounces back and he's the Harvey of old, then we'll let Wheeler go. Don't worry about that. We'll have Harvey and DeGrom. But that never came to fruition. So I think you had the, once they traded him away to Cincinnati, you had to kind of say, hey, Wheeler, you're the guy and and lock him up. And you would have been able to get him for cheaper instead. When Evaldi did what he did in the playoffs and World Series and got himself $17 million a year, now all of a sudden that market jumped. And then... Harvey, of course, comes back and he's getting 11 million for being the second worst starter in all of baseball. That changed the whole market again. And Wheeler winds up with the contract that he wound up with. I, I just felt like if you were watching uh, Zach Wheeler and seeing him mature from a hard thrower into a four pitch pitcher who could read hitters a little bit better, pitch to a game plan. And even if it was only six innings, look at new baseball. New baseball says, give me six innings. Give me everything you got for six innings, all 85 pitches of it. And we'll take you out regardless. Doesn't matter how much we're paying you. We'll take you out regardless because we want you to give us your best six innings, your best 85 pitches 33 times a year rather than, you know, going, you know, all out and maybe hurting yourself or being on the DL for a few weeks. It was a different day, a different age where they could kind of manage those, uh, those expectations. Well, the dark night would have risen like it's Easter Sunday yesterday uh, in New York if he was here now. I mean, one oak closed. The nightclubs all closed. Uh, he, he would have been fine. I mean, we'd have nowhere to go out. He began Taco Bell at 11 p.m. at the drive-thru. He'd have no other options. There's not much he could do when there's no parties around. He would have had to made his own party in his living room, essentially, during these pandemic times. So only if the dark night was here, Figgy, during COVID, right? Well, now you look at the, we always go back to the five aces and now there's five aces are kind of spread all over the all over the map right now we got matt starting tonight for toronto you had wheeler start yesterday you had harvey start two days ago yeah four and two uh, thirds so, two runs six hits against the red sox so he didn't get the win but you know he pitched pretty decent only giving up two runs although the red sox look freaking terrible he, pit, he pitched much better than he has in the past and that's one of the reasons he made the team at the same time uh, you know they had to go to the bullpen to bail him out because he had guys on base and was already getting into trouble and before the fifth inning was over so look you know i don't wish anything bad for matt harvey i i just want him to realize that he can be a pitcher who throws 95 miles an hour and can pitch in the strike zone and move the ball around if he can do that and in, in, in an environment like baltimore where there's not a lot of pressure but the problem is is it's the american league east what happens when he faces the yankees you're listening to Amazing But True 2016 edition as we talk about the Dark Knight rising with Matt Harvey <laughs> in New York. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we've talked enough about Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler, but we'll say this. The Phillies are 3-0, and only a couple teams undefeated right now. Great starts from Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and Eflin. Um, Wheeler's tied for the team lead with two RBIs as well. Uh, it'll be Jacob DeGrom against Matt Moore tonight, Monday, Tuesday. It'll be Stroman against Chase Anderson. And Wednesday, it'll be Peterson against Nola. And that'll be a 4 o'clock game. Thursday will be Taiwan Walker taking the hill, the home opener against the Marlins. 
Biggie excited to see DeGrom and how he looks. Excited to see Strowman and how he looks after sitting out for a year and all the talk we've seen from him. Um, looking forward to seeing Peterson. You know, had a half year under his belt, had a full off season, had a spring training, kind of earned the third spot due to a couple injuries and the Mets wanting to split up the lefties with Walker sandwich in between. So there's a lot to look forward to from this team. Obviously, Lindor's debut going up against a Phillies team that, you know, got off to that hot start. How will the Mets look a little rusty and having to, you know, basically just train in D.C. over the weekend but not play anyone? How, is, how dominant will DeGrom be? A lot of fun to watch for this week, uh, Figgy. Finally, baseball and uh, a, divi- a couple of division rivals coming up, even the Marlins who made the playoffs last year. That should be a good series and three games, all afternoon games at City Field this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to uh, – this is one of those things that – teams always look as the matchups right day one is always going to be your number one versus your number one so that's a difficult matchup either way you're getting your number one right now against the other team's number four so it looks to be a a better matchup on paper and then you have your two against their five so you're looking at a big advantage in my opinion to starting out the season that way let's look at the silver lining of of what the covid uh, delay has brought so you right now you have them going up against their four and five their first three pitchers pitched very well to start out the season, see if they can knock around the four and five, get into that bullpen, and then leave Nola, you know, without a with a spent bullpen in that last game. And you hope Peterson can do what he did last year and keep hitters off balance and give the Mets a chance to go for a sweep at the end of the three days. Screw the Phillies, screw the Nationals. Let's play <laughs> ball and let's play some baseball. Finally, uh, Lindor's jersey. I'm rocking it tonight at catch. I can't wait to see baseball again. And Thursday, if you're going, remember, bring that COVID negative test antigen within six hours of the game, uh, which uh, or, you know, the PCR or proof of vaccination at least 14 days if you're going uh, and if you're there, look for me. I'll be there with my dad. Uh, don't be weird. You know, don't ask. No, no autographs, guys. Come on. I, I'm not going to. No pictures. I'm, obviously, I'm kidding. No one would ever want uh, an autograph from my fat ass. Who? By the way, Figgy, you know you're a fat ass when you're having a chicken parmiro at 1130 a.m. I mean, that might be a little early. <laughs> That's all he had. <laughs> Heat it up. That's all they had. Yeah, yeah. that's all they had. That's I'm all, sure. That's, really. all, that's all my refrigerator had was leftover chicken parmiro. <laughs> so I said, here we go. Here goes nothing. It's opening day. It was weird waking up today and being like, this is opening day when I woke up Thursday ready to run through a brick wall. Speaking of running through a wall, joining us next will be Miracle Met 1969 World Series champion Ron Soboda right here on Amazing But True. Joining us now is a 1969 World Series champion outfielder on those Miracle Mets. He played six seasons with the Mets from 1965 through 1970. He made the infamous, the world famous, the catch scene around the world in game four against the Orioles, robbing Brooks Robinson of a hit and keeping the game tied that propelled the Mets to a win in 10 innings. He would hit 400 in that 69 World Series, and his lone RBI ended up being a big one. It was the game winner of the fifth and final game. He would later on go on to do broadcasting and WCBS in New York, TV in Milwaukee, New Orleans. He is now the author of Here's the Catch, a memoir of the Miracle Mets and more which just came out on paperback. The book came out two years ago, but the paperback version is out. Get it wherever books are sold. 
as they say. It is the great Ron Swoboda. Ron, welcome to Amazing But True. We had you on last year to honor the pass at the late Tom Seaver, and you did a terrific job. And we figured, why not have you back on to kick off uh, part two of what is part one of the new Mets season? Yes, your w- wisdom is unsurpassed. <laughs> and that's all the smoke I'm going to blow today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, glad to join you guys. I'm, uh, you know, this new season of 2021 is just starting in the big leagues. I'm so anxious. It's nice to see people in the stands who are alive. You know, there's something about playing in front of cutouts that just takes all the passion out of it, I think. But uh, we've got we've got a little bit of a crowd this year. I'm anxious for it to thicken up and uh, for this season to get rolling. I'm, I'm a crazy Met fan, and um, I even bought the MLB extra inning package so I could watch all the games. What do you think of this year's team? They have, on paper, they're expected to win 90-plus games. Where do you see this Mets team finishing? I really hate predictions. You know why? So many things can happen, uh, and they're in the toughest division in baseball, I believe. I mean, they're playing the Phillies tonight 3-0 and with a pitching staff, um, you know, one of whom is uh, Zach uh, Wheeler, who, you know, I was crushed when the Mets let him get out of their system. So, you know, it, they're going to get all they need against the Phillies, who are 3-0. and 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 go from there yeah ron one of the things that i have to say is i've missed you not having fantasy camp yet this year and and not having a chance to uh interact with you that's been one of the great joys of being part of the mets family and the fraternity is that getting a chance to sit alongside you guys and, and and hear the stories that's two weeks that i've been cheated of we'll see each other in november but Definitely uh, have missed you this far, so far this year. Well, I just loved it when your dad came out and played and had such a great time. You know, that's really what it's all about. I've seen fathers and sons before, and uh, you know, it is about it is about that that gathering of uh, old guys, really, and and uh, dressing them up like big leaguers and trying to uh, coach and manage them like big leaguers. And I always get into it. I mean, I get crazy into it. I want these guys to feel the urgency of performing because that's part of the big league professional experience you know you're a professional there's no more excuses you're you're out there to get it done and I want them to feel that pressure and I get a little crazy but I love it I mean I I, it it's I'm I'm like you Figgy I, I I look forward to it it's a big part of my year I'm glad we have November at least yeah one one thing about Ron uh I need people to know he is as mild mannered, articulate of a man as you will ever find in a baseball uniform. And then somebody makes an error and he absolutely <laughs> loses it. And will will go off on a 67 year old woman for not making a play by keeping sorry. the ball in front of her. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Shotsky, hey, you Shotsky know what? has felt the wrath before. I've always said, you know, I, 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 I've done some college baseball and, and you talk to college coaches now in big time college baseball and they're like, you know, you got to be a little careful how you talk to these guys because if you jump them a little hard, they, they, they shut down on you. I went, what? I said, if it wasn't for a couple of, couple of guys screaming at me, I would have never done anything. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. I got to get your attention a little bit. And and um, it, you know what? If you can't handle that, um, where do you think you're going to go in a game that can be as cruel as baseball? <laughs> Ron, I've always had an affinity for the 1969 Mets. Me and my dad used to go to the sports card shows where you, you and a lot of your 
old teammates would sign yeah. Westchester. And, you know, I, I think I met 20 of you guys, 19 or 20 of you. Um, I had Seaver on a ball as well. Rest in peace, Tom Seaver. And yeah, uh, oh, lo- love that team. I had Crane Pool signed the 69 yearbook. So I was born in 91. So I had to learn the Mets history and figure out, you know, what was that 69 to 86 team all about? So I've always been fascinated by the Miracle Mets. Now, your story is interesting because you were nicknamed early in your career Rocky for your less than great uh, defensive <laughs> abilities. But that had to be the monkey off your back, Ron, when you made the catch in game four. All your haters in the past had to look back and say, all right, that's a hell of a catch, and it helped propel the Mets to win a World Series. You know, we didn't have um, we didn't have social media back then, um, so you were covered by a lot of people, you know, a lot of newspaper writers got up in your face if you had done something either really good or really bad after the game and I was I was a guy that stood there and answered the questions I figured you'll get a better break from the writers if you give them what they're asking you know give them the answer if it's on you it's on you you know I mean if I messed it up I messed it up you know and I I could live with that and and uh, these guys that uh, run and hide in the uh, training room and 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 refuse to engage with the media I don't have a whole lot of respect for that I'm I'm, I'm for the guys that stand up and 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 give them what they need because they're making them money you know uh, and 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 uh, you're responsible for what you do but you know, it's a different world, and and I and I do I do sense somewhat the kind of pressure that these guys face from social media, from blogs, <laughs> from everywhere. Uh, the attention on them is immense, immense, and the money they're making is immense, and 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 it all kind of it all has to resolve itself out there on the field of play, and and that's. That's pretty cool. It's pretty it, it, it's pretty exciting for me to watch these guys. I don't try to compare a whole lot of today's baseball to yesterday's baseball. Um, I would I'll admit I'm not a great fan of uh, a, a lot of these uh, uh, new ideas coming out of the commissioner's office. I, I sometimes I think the commissioner thinks people really don't like baseball because he keeps trying to shorten it and change it. But but you know. They're going to do what they think they have to do. And the bottom line is you're still watching the best players in the world do the best they can. Uh, and that, that intrigues me. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Uh, you asked me first, what do I think about this Mets team? Uh, they're better. And, and, and they're going to need to be better. Yeah, Ron, one of the things that's so heartwarming about you is that you talk about that accountability and the accountability of uh, when you write a book and you're penning a book and you did that on your own. So when you read the reviews of, of your book and people are saying how refreshing it is not to just hear about the greatest hits, the greatest moments, you know, and, and repeatedly talk about how wonderful you were. You're very realistic about, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life in the big leagues. Hey, look, you played the game, Figgy. You played the game, and you know that the ups and downs can be, you know, extremely difficult. The highs and the lows can really rack you around. And and I tried to take people on that, you know, emotional roller coaster a, a 162-game season can be and kind of explain that's why you hang in there every day. That's why you go out there every day and try to do the very best, try to be the very best you can be every day. 
because you don't know when you're in the weeds and things are going wrong. You don't know when it's going to turn around because us average guys, and I think you can relate to being an average guy where nothing was given to you, you know, Figgy. You made a career for yourself, and and, and you had to be a pitcher. You had to pitch smart and use your stuff with some with some intelligence or or it wasn't going to go well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I can relate to when you talk to – uh, about uh, everybody knows about the Carlton game, right? The two home runs and and he's punching out the world, but not Ron Swoboda. He's just racking his brains. And that's the great game, right? Talk, talk about facing Bob Gibson. What was that like? You know, I tell people, uh, and of course, uh, Gibby is one of those great Hall of Famers who passed away in this last year. We lost so many, including Tom Seaver. I used to say, you know, I'm 70 some years old. I said, if Bob Gibson walked in the room now, my bowels get a little loose. You know, it's it's like <laughs> the guy was so intimidating and, and you had to go up there and battle that, you know, because he was intimidating. And if you, you, you can kid yourself a little bit, but, but the truth is Gibson went out there and he didn't think about intimidating. He just wanted to get you out as fast as he could. You know, he was uninterested in who was up there. They, they were just up there to make out and, and, and he was going to beat them. You know, and you think about that year he had in uh, 1968 with a 1.16 ERA or something ridiculous like that and still lost nine games. And you're like, what? He lost nine. He got shut out a bunch with those Cardinals in 68. But, I mean, his stuff was gigantic, and he was ferocious on the mound, and he was in a big hurry. I always said Gibson pitched like he was double parked with a gallon of ice cream in the trunk. You know what I mean? He, he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry oh, yeah. to get you out. He he shut you out in a, in two hours. And you know we we tried to play games with him one time and call timeout, step out, get pine tar, let him stand out there and stew. This was West Westrom back in like 1967. We were going to annoy Bob Gibson. I'm like that makes a lot of sense. Piss him off, you know? Like piss him off. What? It's so. <laughs> the upshot was it took him it took him two and a half hours to shut us out. <laughs> in, in today's game, you know, people will look at Jacob Degrom as being that guy to a lesser degree. As you know, Jacob Degrom's no pitcher ever is going to have a one point one six ERA in t- in today's game, but Degrom is like that. But you also mentioned. Uh, you know, Gibson passed away, Tom Seaver passed away, and he was nicknamed the franchise. Just how important was Tom Seaver to the 69 team and to the Mets in general, Ron, especially with you coming up uh, with the franchise, struggling, the team struggling your first few years, and then he and all you guys riding the ship. Yeah, when you when you collected when you collected Tom Seaver and then Jerry Kuzman, the left-hander behind him, you didn't have to score six runs to win a ball game. And, and when, you know, Seaver probably had an easy ERA uh, under three the first 10 years of his career and so so if you got if you got Tom three or four you had a chance you always had a chance and you weren't going to lose a lot of games in a row when you had him and Kuzman coming behind him and then some pretty good other young arms you know like uh, Gary Gentry and uh, Jim McAndrew and Tug McGraw those guys Nolan Ryan 1969 was the only year that Nolan Ryan ever saw the inside of a World Series in an incredibly great and long uh, major league career so it's pretty cool you know it stands by itself 1969 as an incredible year with 
all these things that we're looking at, and now we have opening day, uh, day today or opening night, I should say, finally for the Mets. Jacob DeGrom on the Hill, you know, can you explain what you've seen in the maturation of Jacob DeGrom? He's the coolest number out there. And, and you know, he doesn't, doesn't look like a guy that throws 101. Okay, I was uh, I drove down the spring training with a buddy of mine, and we saw Degrom against Scherzer uh, in West Palm late in spring training, uh, playing the Nats. You know, and Degrom's out there, and he's hitting the century mark in spring training, and he's throwing about as easy looking as you can imagine. His delivery looks like ho hum. And you look out at the board where they flash the speed and it's 101 and you go, wow. And he's commanding that, you know, he's running it up there in the zone up top where you're going to swing at it, but you're not going to hit it. And he commands that and it little you know, a little breaking ball, occasional change up, you know, it's, it's such good stuff that he commands and he looks like. He is so relaxed out there and his mechanics totally has to be, you know, it, his 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 velocity is just impeccable mechanics is what I see. Your book has come out in paperback form, a memoir of the Miracle Mets. You wrote it 50 years after you guys won. To kind of take us through your writing process of the book, and I'm sure a lot of memories came to you as you, you know, started putting the pen pen to paper. You bet. Look, I wanted it to sound like me. You know, I worked 20 years in uh, TV sports, local TV sports. You write your own copy. You're, you're, you, you know, you want it to sound like you, you know, because that's what you'll get through the easiest. And that voice is what I went after. And I had, I had really some interesting things in, in my life and in my family before I ever left Baltimore. I had, I had two uncles that worked in the uh, morgue, you know, the, the medical examiner's <laughs> office and it, it was in this gloomy old uh you know building on the uh, waterfront in baltimore scary as hell my brother and i would go up there on saturday mornings when when one of my uncles was working uh, uh the weekend and 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 we'd check out the stiffs you know and you'd walk in this place and there'd be somebody laying on a slab with a lit cigarette in their mouth you'd look at it and go what and your uncle would say something like i told you smoking was no good for you you know, and, and you go, ah, oh, more wow. humor. And, and, you know, it look, it is absolutely morbid. But I'm just saying, when you're 16, 17 years old, this was fascinating stuff. And I walked through this season, you know, I, we talked about the ups and downs. And, and you know, you, you wallow in some really dark periods where I had I had nothing going early. And that for my first half of that season. I was useless in, in my book, just useless. And as we gained a little momentum and uh, that they make the Don Clendenin trade at the end of June and, and things start to happen, I actually, you know, I actually had half the RBIs I got that year in August after, you know, Cleon Jones got yanked out of the lineup by Gil Hodges one day in Shea. Cleon Jones is, is competing for the, the batting title in the National League. We were getting our asses beat by the uh, Astros, and they beat the heck out of us. You go back and look at it. They won 10 out of 12 games against us, and we couldn't touch them. Cleon in left field went after a ball that Hodges, I think Hodges seized the moment. It didn't look like Cleon got after this double down the left field line, and, and Doug Rader scores from first base, and they're rolling it up against us. We're, you know, they beat the heck out of us in the first game, and they're rolling us in the second game. And Hodges said, I got, I got a 
make a point here, I think. And he went out there and took Cleon out of the game. And everybody looked at one another and they went, wow, Gil's upset. And, it, you know, Gil didn't scream and yell like I would in a, you know, fantasy camp. Gil's, Gil's emotions were in what he did. Um, he was quiet, man, uh, you know, and, and but but it was what he did. And he yanked Cleon out of that game. And I'm sitting in the dugout. I don't even know if I have my hat on or my shoes tied, but uh, all of a sudden I'm in the game and I get a couple of base hits in that game and I get to play a little bit because Cleon actually had a bad leg and, and, and Hodges rested him a couple of days, you know, and I, and I, you know, it's only partly with quotations around rested. And when Cleon got back in there, he went off like a shot, but I played in his absence and I, I, I got hot and, and, um, uh, you know, now I'm in, now I'm in the platoon in right field with our Chamsky. And that's the way we went down the stretch. And that's really where it ignited for me. And as things got real interesting, I was at least contributing. And that felt good. I got in the permanent lefty-righty platoon with Art Chamsky, who was hitting 300, you know, as a uh, right fielder uh, batting against right-handed pitching. Yeah, that's what the good ones do. The good managers are able to kind of get the best out of their players and put them in situations to be successful. And Gil Hodges did that for you. You know that you can you can go online on Baseball Reference and look up every play, every play-by-play, every box score from every year you want to look at. And I did that in the writing process. I went back and put those key games and stretches together and looked at some of these decisions Hodges made when he'd pinch it or not pinch it with somebody. And and you look at how in the moment, in the game, his managing was just incredible. And, you know, if you can't add what he was as a player, not just the statistics when he played first base for the Dodgers, but what he meant in that clubhouse. And and his career was shortened by World War II because he was in the Marines on Okinawa. If that Veterans Committee cannot add those two things together and put that man in the Hall of Fame, there's something really wrong with the process, is, is all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, he's got to be in the Hall of Fame. So hopefully they, they get their acts right and, and make that Hope happen. the light comes on for him, is all I can say. Well, the light always comes on for us when Ron Swoboda joins the show. You can get his book, Here's the Catch, a memoir of the Miracle Mets and more, which is now out on paperback. Miracle Mets, 1969 World Series champion, Ron Swoboda. Thanks for coming on Amazing But True, Ron. Enjoy the uh, Mets season this year, and you got your MLB package. You'll be watching. I'm ready to go. Thank you guys for having me. It was always a treat. And that'll say adios to episode 40, the big, sexy Bartolo Cologne edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Munguia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday after the Mets' home opener. Enjoy the game if you're going. Enjoy the first four games of the season. And thanks for listening to Amazing But True. Let's go, Mets.